Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Al and Lingy, a seven-footy podcast. We'll be analysing each round of football and you can take it all in on a Monday. All the big topics to be discussed and what a round of football it's been. What a way to kick off the season. Crowds back at the venues across the country had some thrilling games of football and a few very brilliant debuts as well. Cameron Ling, hello to you. Great to have your company. Oh, great to be with you, Al. Looking forward to breaking down the round that's happened. And how good is it that footy's back? Uh, the excitement. I mean, a few big statement games. Carlton's up and about. I went to a golf day, Al, on Friday. And the number of Carlton caps that were being worn around after that big win Thursday night Ooh, bit of swagger back for the Blues. You'd be a happy man. It's good for football when Carlton <laughs> is performing well, and it's been a while, Lingy. It had been a long, long while since they'd beaten Richmond back to 2013. Each week will be complemented by a preeminent figure in the game. And well, he played over 400 games for Hawthorne and Port Adelaide, four premierships as well. A new addition to the seven broadcast team. He's coming off his first weekend of football with us as well. Sean Burgoyne, great to have your company. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. And, uh, How did you find it, mate? Uh, it was nerve-wracking, to be honest. It's a little bit nerve. Uh, some nerves kicked in just before we went on live on air, uh, but a different type of nerve so, compared to playing footy. So, um, yeah, but it was enjoyable. It was a big weekend. How did you find the two old teams, though, Sean? Close games, both of them, and you, ha- you couldn't control anything that was going on. Did you hate that part of it? Yeah, I did actually. Um, I, I didn't miss not doing the pre-season because I actually enjoy waking up with my body being fresh and not sore. Um, but actually watching the games, being there live and knowing that you can't get down the oval and kick the ball and make better decisions. and It's always easier from sitting in the stands. So um, that's the bit I'm going to probably struggle with this, this first year out of footy. What it's amazing thing you, you do notice, Sean, when you're up in the box compared to being out on the ground because... Having been down in the crowd at times, low down, you get a, a real perspective on how difficult it is to see those really smart kicks to you when you pull the trigger into the corridor, how you look through bodies, but from up high, it looks so simple. What did you notice? Yeah, that's exactly what I noticed. When you're out on the field, everything's in a split second. A player has one, maybe two seconds to get rid of the ball, sometimes less, because um, they've got to get rid of the ball instinctively. And then... Um, how, that's how quick the game is down on ground level when you're on the oval. But when you're up in the stands and you're 50, 60 metres away, it's really slow. It's kind of like playing chess. Oh, kick it there, kick it there, kick it there. And there's no consequences for the decisions you make when you sit in your chair up in the stands. So um, it's a, a big, a big um, gap there, but um, something I've got to get used to, I suppose. You know what made me sick about that, Al? Shawnee played exactly like that when he was on the field as well. He made everything just slowed down and he just hit every single right take. So it doesn't matter if it's on the field or it's up in the stands. Just very simple for our, yeah. our mate here. Silk on the field, silk <laughs> in the broadcast box as well, no doubt about that. Lingy, so what caught your eye? I'll throw one out there. What caught my eye? The thing that I, I mean of many things that I loved across the round of football, so many you could talk about, but to see those Dacos boys playing together, to see Nick Dacos, who 
had he not been too young, they say, could have played at AFL level last year, to see him immediately go in and make such an impact and to have those brothers playing together, to see the family in the crowd, to see Peter there enjoying everything as well. And for both of them to have a real influence in that win for Collingwood under a new coach in Craig McRae, that was a very special part of the weekend, I thought. It was pretty amazing, wasn't it? And, and Collingwood, as it, in general, were pretty special with... Uh their excitement and energy. And that was it for me, was the speed and the intent to score by so many teams. Do you know what it is? I reckon over the summer, maybe they had more time to reflect with this pandemic that we've been through. Teams have realised, oh, we've got to score. We've got to move it fast. When we've got forwards who know how to play the game, we've got to get it in there really quickly. And it was so refreshing to watch. Fingers crossed, it lasts beyond round one. But right throughout the weekend, teams were playing with a real energy and a real intent to pick off that quick kick through the middle, to run past and give the handball and to get it in as quickly as they possibly can. Gee, it made for some scintillating footy. Momentum shifts. There were seven goals there. There were five goals there. There were close finishes. There were comebacks. There was everything. Oh, I loved it. And from time to time, Sean, we've seen that as well at the start of the season. We'll have this explosion. I think there's there's a real want to watch football as well. It's been a while, but as the season goes on, do the coaches tend to just start to tweak and restrict and try and go back to what they know? And they know that defence is typically what, what wins premierships. Do you think that the style of football we saw in, in round one, that explosive style, is sustainable? Uh, I'd like to think it is. It's more exciting, especially now that I'm in the stands and you actually appreciate when teams kick goals. But... Coaches are too smart for that, to be honest. They, they probably <laughs> break, they break it down in like three to four week blocks and then you, you pick up the trend. So, you know, everyone's really excited now because, you know, you can go as hard as you want at training, uh, but nothing compares to round one. And the excitement, the preseason's finished, the big stuff here, the fans are in the crowd. Um, well, their crowds are back, sorry, the fans are. So, you know, all that adrenaline builds up and they play, you know, really exciting footy, but then teams realise they fall into like a couple of different categories, to be honest. Can they only kick a goal, um, kick goals and can't defend? Can they defend but can't score heavily? Or can they score and defend? And then normally the teams that, you know, challenge at the end of the year who can score and, and defend at the same time. So I think the coaches will figure out where they fall and which category they fall in. And they'll look more defensively how to stop teams from, from kicking goals against them. You know, the zone, you know, um, is always talked about whether you have an 18-man zone, whether you, you know, you go 17-man zone, have a tagger, follow an on-ball around. They throw up all those different ideas, but generally takes two to three, four weeks to, to pick the trends in it. Yeah, we did see, obviously, in the grand final last year, just those quick centre clearances. The, the 6-6-6 rule sort of subtly showed us what it was capable of, of helping teams to achieve, and Melbourne exploited that. And particularly, I think, the first few games, Lingy, of this round, we saw teams playing that way. It's absolutely exhilarating. It is, and it's the one opportunity where you're guaranteed you've got even numbers. You know, you even if it's a bit of a mongrel kick in there, generally, it's going to be a contest. There's not going to be the plus one, or your forwards have got too far up the ground and are caught out, so go there. And teams took advantage of that. And I wonder going forward if we just see more and more teams choosing to play specialist centre clearance players in the centre bounce and then they can end up anywhere on the ground a minute later. Sean's probably a great example of that and and during the peak Hawthorne times at different times Jared Roughhead went in there and was a centre clearance player but 
Jordan Degoe did it for, for Collingwood. The, Jake Stringer did it so effectively for Essendon last year. Um, obviously, he didn't play this weekend. But when you've got that just gun centre clearance player, play him there and then move him wherever you need to move him beyond that because he might not have the engine to keep playing in the middle of the ground. But while you've got that moment of even numbers, you can exploit it, may as well play your jet clearance players altogether. Exactly, because as you, as you notice with the 666, the, the wingers can't have an influence now. So both generally both teams, their wingers, are holding their balance uh, across the league. And then the guys running in from the, the centre centre squares or top of the 50 arcs, they're inside 50 and they can't physically get in to have an impact. So, you're, you're, you know, your three players and your, and your ruckman are most valuable in those five seconds you've got there of even numbers. And that's a big one for Melbourne is they know they can just dominate that area. They, they've got Gorn, first of all, um, which is the best ruckman in the comp. They've got Jackson to back him up when they need it. And then they've got Petrucker and Oliver, two of the best centre clearance players in the entire comp. And while they might need a little bit of a rest, they can still use Jack Viney and Harms and all these different options through the middle there. They have supreme confidence that even if they concede a couple, like they did the Dogs, it's fine. <laughs> we'll just blast the other team the other way when we get our top-line midfielders in that middle of the ground. What a weapon it is to have. We are seeing little bursts, aren't we? We're seeing teams hold the momentum kick a run of goals, then the other team takes its turn. Um, Brad Scott, now head of football at the AFL, has said that he's, he's going to be different to what we saw previously with Steve Hocking, who was clearly an agent of change, modified a lot of rules, and some of them have been successful. They've improved the, the spectacle. Um, the changes that have come in under Brad Scott, as much as he wants to limit change from here on in, a tightening up of the holding the ball interpretation and, and the AFL more broadly uh, around the remonstrating with umpires. How did you see that play out, those, those new rules? How did you see them play out across the first round of footy? Well, I'm a fan of the one of not talking back to the umpire. Um, I think, you know, we said our players across the league set a really good example or a bad example of how they behave on the field towards the umpire. And I think we're, it's well documented, I think we're 6,000 umpires short across Australia. So if our top-line professionals can treat the umpire with respect, um, I think that goes a long way down, that filters down to the local community. Um, so I'm a, I'm a fan of that one. I think you can still, I think there still is room to chat to the umpire and talk and ask questions and have that, have that banter, but show the umpire the respect that they deserve. It's a very, very difficult job and I'd hate to be doing it, to be honest, because there's a lot of pressure on them. Um, and I think the, the tightening up of the holding the ball, I think everyone, no matter who you support, you just want to see consistency with it. You know, what's paid in round one is paid in round two, is paid in round 18. And, the, you know, the interpretation doesn't change. I thought they got the balance right too, Shawnee, with the, um, when you're talking about that remonstrating with the umpire this round. I noticed a couple, on a couple of occasions, players did question the decision, but did so in a really calm, really respectful manner, um, often did it as they've taken that second or two, the ball's gone back, and they've just asked. And you could see a slight gesture of, oh, you know, did I, did I actually chop here or did I push that? And the umpires handled that beautifully. They explained it. They said, no, I saw you do whatever it was, um, free kick. Okay, fine. Back to the mark. That is fantastic umpiring because we want that interaction. We want the players to learn. And often if that interaction is really calm and respectful, the, um, the TV Channel 7 have got their mics on and you hear that interaction, you're like, oh, that's how I should speak to an umpire if I'm not sure about a decision. I can ask that question. 
Really well done. Huge thumbs up to the umpiring this weekend when it comes to that part of the game. Goes to show uh, how influential a 50-metre penalty can be, doesn't it? When you have them in the Amy Community Series and all of a sudden, <laughs> they're completely wiped out. We barely see them anymore. So the message certainly hits home. Let's touch on a few of the games across the weekend. We'll, we'll sort of start with the matches that took place today. And, and your former team, Hawthorne, Sean Burgoyne, under your former teammate, Sam Mitchell, who, in fairness, has got a lot of pressure on him at Hawthorne this year, given what he's inherited at the club, the way the position came about. They had a stirring win. There was one very telling moment, though, in the game that suggested that the Clarkson era was over today, and that was when Chad Wingard went out on the ground in a long-sleeved jumper. <laughs> Have they just completely dropped the ball at Hawthorne? What is going on, Shorty? I've already, I've already sent Chad a number of text messages. Um, it's 24 degrees and hot in Melbourne. He's wearing a long sleeve. <laughs> like, what are you doing, mate? Like, you know, we played in the snow. Like, yeah, oh, if it's cold, wear a long sleeve. Um, but it's hot. It's, it's, I don't know what he's, what's he thinking. He be, would have been sweating. I had some friends in the crowd who text saying they were hot, um, just sitting in a crowd in shorts and a shirt. So I've let Chad know that as well. Um, text him straight up. So when he turned his phone on after the game, he would have seen my text messages come through. <laughs> but, <you know. laughs> he kicked two goals too, so which definitely helped. I would have actually let him know a bit more about if he had kicked any goals at all. Um, but yeah, it was good to see them get off to a win. Um, the, the game, I, I watched the first three quarters and it was because I had to head off to, to do the uh, Adelaide Fremantle game. Um, so I watched the first three quarters and it was for two teams that had predicted to finish, you know, down to near the bottom of the ladder. It was very entertaining. The skill level was, was good. The intensity, um, it was close. Um, yeah, it was, it, was, it, was, it was a really good start to the year for those two teams, you know. And uh, there's a lot of hype around, you know, Jason Horn francis And I thought, you know, he did really well as well. So I'm not too sure what you guys thought of the game. It's interesting, isn't it, Lingy? Because um, if you look at Hawthorne, had a few players out, but also elected really to have Mitch Lewis as the key marking target inside the attacking 50. He kicked three goals for them today. No Emerson Jecker. Kajitski didn't play either. So Lewis took his chance. Gunston, a little inaccurate, kicked three goals for, but had an influence. And, and if he can string games together this season, it's going to be highly beneficial for Hawthorne, obviously. And Sicily on return. So good to see him back out there. 27 disposals, six marks. But also the way he uses the football, he can pull the trigger on that really difficult to execute kick that puts you into parts of the ground that can really expose the opposition. He makes a world of difference to that team. You're exactly right, Al. Um, it's great to see him back. Um, it's an important win. Now, I don't for one second think they're going to be factoring in finals this year. Um, that's, that's just my opinion. They might prove me wrong. But the pressure can come if the losses mount early on in the year and they start doubting everything that they've been working on throughout the preseason with Sam Mitchell. So a win is really important just to reinforce those key messages. It's a win where they were at massive risk of the COVID protocols uh, influencing this game. And we're going to see that throughout the year. There's going to be games decided because of players who are unavailable and key players to a team. And you drop a game that you kind of should win because you're missing key players, it's going to have a huge impact. So to just go there, beat North Melbourne, who are going to be similar-ish on the ladder, you know, trying to build young players, everything like that, despite missing those few key players, really important win. Now the younger players at Hawthorne start, just start thinking, oh, yeah, what Sam Mitchell told me in preseason, I can see it work. What this other coach has been working on with me with throughout preseason and in the preseason games, 
ah, that's what he meant by that against an, an AFL club. And you, you can start building on that. And it's only one game. It's only four points. It's, it's very, very simple. But just reinforces those messages strongly as opposed to the doubts that can start flooding in. You start listening to the fact you're not going to be any good. And everybody in the media is saying you're a rubbish team and you should have won this and you're no good. They hear that and it creeps into their psyche. Knowing Sam Mitchell well, Shawnee, what do you think are his challenges as an individual as he goes down the career? He's obviously at Box Hill. But for the type of character he is, what is he going to need to get right in the early stages of his coaching career, do you think? Yeah, I think... um... Well, there's things you can't. There's things you can't have straight away, which is experience. He's 39. Um, you know, he's assistant coach. So it's obviously first year of full-time senior coach, and he's assistant coach for two or three years. So, whereas Chris Fagan's was he 59, 60, somewhere there. He's been in the system for a number of years. You know, Clark was in the, in the coaching system for 18, 19 years. So you can't buy experience, and he says he's a young guy. So he's going to obviously get better as he gets goes on. Um, just adapting. Um, I think he played with a few of the players, like Liam Shields and um, Jack Gunston and Luke Bruce. So he and Ben McAvoy. So he was their teammate um, a few years ago. So learning, um, obviously, how to deal with you know your, your teammates. Now I'm actually your boss. I'm your coach. Uh, how does that relationship work? Um, and then, the, well, the last couple of years, last year, he was you know obviously the Box Hill coach. So he's developed some really strong relationships. With the, with the young guys and help develop them at Box Hill, probably developing strong relationships with the senior players, which is what he's probably um, focused a lot on in pre-season. Johnny, I wonder with someone like Sam who saw the game so well, you talked a little bit earlier about how a game just slows down for you. Well, for Sam Mitchell at times, it was he'd just let people run past, he'd wait for things to open up, and he was pretty much just leading everyone in a merry dance at times with his creativity. How will he... Uh, cope with? How will he grow? How will he communicate with players who just simply don't see it as well as him? They might be fine athletically, they might have skills, they might have something else to offer, but they just do not have anywhere near his brain. Will he get frustrated and angry with that or does he understand people see it differently? Uh, I think think he's smart enough to know that he was one of the smartest guys going around. And, you know, you can see that the way he played left and right foot and all the things you described. So I think he's smart enough to know that some of the players definitely won't be up to his standard with the way he played. And he just has to um, develop them as best he can and point the right assistant coaches and the right development coaches around his players to develop them the best way possible. So when they do come into the system, they can execute exactly what he wants. But, you know, players like Sam, there's only a few of them that have played the game who see the game like they do, and I, I think he, he knows that, and <laughs> he, he won't be having them at his, at his expectation of what he was like. If there's a silver lining for North Melbourne, it's Jason Horn Francis, the number one pick, made his debut in the clash and just showed a few glimpses of, of the immense potential he has to be a huge force in the game. He kicked a goal, he had the 12 disposals, Horn Francis, on debut. Shawnee, you're at the Adelaide Oval watching Fremantle and Adelaide in what was a reasonably scrappy affair, but it, it turned into an absolute thriller of a contest. What caught your eye? It did. It started off, you know, Adelaide, the first half of the, the game, couldn't hit a target. They had players who were out in the open kicking the ball on the full. I think there was like six or seven out-of-bounds on the full, literally, um, which I've never seen before. 
So Adelaide really couldn't kick to, to save themselves, to be honest. And Fremantle, although they had really um, controlled the play for the first half, they left the, they left the door open for, for Adelaide. They missed a lot of easy shots. And um, if they had kicked straight, the game would have been over at half time. Um, and then something happened at half time where Adelaide came, Matthew Nix obviously spoke to his players and they, they came out after half time and changed the way they played. They wasn't kicking the ball long as often. They were running it first and then using handball and then kicking the ball deeper inside 50. So they changed and that seemed to put Fremantle on the back foot. And the last probably quarter was exciting as you can possibly get, both going back and forth. Um, there was almost a goal kicked on the last second of the, of the game, um, a point to end in a draw. So it was right down to the last second. But, you know, Rose Shelley from Adelaide Crows kicking five goals on debut was definitely the standout and um, would be definitely um, much sought after signature Adelaide Crows for the long term. I know he did re-sign just recently, apparently. After a month of training, they extended his contract. But, you know, he's a future star for sure. Yeah, what did you see in him? Um, would you liken him to anyone that you've seen yeah. before? Just, just watching him play today, he physically looks ready-made for AFL footy. He's got, he's got the man-child body, that's for sure. So he's not your average 18-year-old. But when the camera zoomed in on him and he marked the ball or he, he, or he got a couple crumb goals, he got a crumb goal front and centre, timed it perfectly, hit it flush. Like You can't teach that stuff. That's just football IQ. But then when he marked the ball and he went back, you just saw the camera zoomed in on him and you could tell by his body language that, nah, I'm going back, I'm kicking this goal. He showed a, a maturity you know, beyond his years. And that stood out to me straight away. As soon as he went back, I was in the commentary box and I was, he's going to kick this goal. He's going to kick this goal. And he just went back and, and nailed it flush. So, yeah, he's definitely going to bring people through the gates from Adelaide Crows fans. You've got two teams there that you can see their pathway. You can see their vision of where they're going to go to. Really exciting. Oh, again, I, I don't believe they're making the finals this year, but, you know, they can be knocking on the door of it, um, Frio or Adelaide. But, you can clearly see where they're going to build towards. You know, they've got exciting key position players. There's fast, lightning fast, dangerous small forwards on both teams. Quality young midfields getting built. Uh, both through Justin Longmuir and Matty Nix, they've set a really good, clear development path for where those clubs can go to. Um, it, it, Sean's right. It was scrappy as hell at times. And the exciting finish covered over... Um, at times was a pretty average game. But throughout that average game were moments where you just noticed, yep, he's good. Oh, he's going to be terrific. Wow. And give him another three years. He's going to be something special. So they've, they've got a clear path. It, it's exciting for both those clubs. Is Fremantle in your either of your top eights this season? No. 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 But I do think they will be just outside it and banging on the door. And to be honest, if you want to play finals and you want to build for that, whether that's this year or next year, on the way, on the road away trips against teams you're expected to beat, you need to win. And today they almost let it slip, which is um, going to be a really big learning curve for their, for their team and their footy club. But, yeah, they're games you're expected to win. It's a fair win, isn't it, though, without Sean Darcy and Nat Fife? I mean, yeah, that's, that's a brilliant win. Yeah, exactly. You got them in, Lingy? No, I don't have them in. No, I um, I, I believe really strongly in their their path. I think they're getting it right, but not not this year. Too early for me. I think uh, the six teams that featured on this Sunday, um, I don't have any of them making it. Uh, I know we're we're recording this on a Sunday night. The Gold Coast West Coast game is still happening. 
first quarter that was so ridiculously riddled with skill errors that I don't think I need to stress too much about watching them for another few weeks. Mind you, that game is close and it's going to be close. It's probably going to be a ripping finish again. Um, but you can see that they're, while well, West Coast are decimated with mm. um, players uh, and Gold Coast is still just a work in progress, they just miss simple yeah. targets time and time again. And until they fix that up, there's just going to be no smoothness in their play. Let's be honest, Lee, you weren't too worried about the events of Sunday in this round of football because Saturday was where your eyes were fixated. Country round, MCG, Geelong, you've been pleading for Geelong to play a faster style of game. Did they deliver for you on the weekend? Sean, you know, I've had my stopwatch running this whole time to work out how long it was going to be until we finally talk about the Cats. (laughs) Come on, boys, this should have been the lead story. You know, it doesn't surprise me. You've got the stopwatch oh. above the, the laptop, so that way you look like the stopwatch, not us. <laughs> Should be the lead story every single time we talk about the Cats. But no, on a serious note, saw some great signs. The speed of play again, the intent. And it was... The thing that's had me scratching my head for so long, as you know, Al, is it's not as though they don't have a forward line to kick to and therefore you're hesitant and you're trying to protect the fact that going to come out really quickly and all that Hawkins and Cameron are there they are two of the best key forwards in the game give them a chance and then you you, others will be buzzing around Tyson Stengel what a recruit absolutely pumped that he um just slotted in nicely and they look so much more dangerous they look so much more dynamic and then you've got guys who can play to their strengths you know Parfit looked uh, really good on Saturday so the, the the elements are still there um, I love the fact that they've got this different mindset as to how they're going to play. Now, hopefully Jeremy Cameron's okay after a massive knock with Jaden Laverty, but, um, and it looks like scans, internal scans have been uh, ruled all clear, which is great, but he's still going to be a very, very sore boy for, uh, for next week and might be affected. But while it's Hawkins and Cameron up there and it's Stengel buzzing around at his feet, well, that's a dangerous forward line. Get it in there as often and as quickly as you possibly can you know what, if you make a mistake or two, just back yourself to mop it up. Don't be stressed about it. So I loved it. I loved it. We've got another half an hour to talk about it. Oh, we better move on, Ling. I think we'd better move on, surely. <laughs> We've got other things far more important to talk about. Ling, Nick Martin, obviously, in that game, coming off the supplemental selection uh, period signing at Essendon. And then we saw that as well in the Collingwood St Kilda game with Jack Hayes having a real influence so that's been a nice addition. And I think that really adds to the, the tapestry of the game when you get some of these mature age, unknown types coming into the competition and having an impact. They, they almost instantly become cult figures. Uh, the term cult figure certainly applies to Buddy Franklin. So much hype surrounding whether he could get the five goals to take into a thousand and become the sixth player to achieve that milestone. The first Indigenous player, Sean, he kicked the one. He had a He's had some good battles with Phil Davis over the years and Phil Davis took the points on Saturday. Sydney ultimately took the four points coming from behind and Luke Parker really put the team on his back and kicked five goals was superb in the second half for them. But that sets up a mouthwatering match. Now you'll see it live and free on seven Friday night at the SCG with Sydney taking on Geelong and Buddy needing four goals. But we were chatting in the lead-up to the Brisbane Port game, Sean, and you were saying how much Buddy would have wanted to get that milestone out of the way, just get rid of all the fanfare surrounding us and move on. 
yeah, he would have set himself up to do it in round one so that he doesn't have to do any media and interviews <laughs> next, <laughs> this coming week. So um, that's exactly what he would have done. But Phil Davis did an unbelievable job on him, you know, to play on Lance, you know, one-on-one. And, you know, to, you've got to rely on your teammates and trust them that they're going to help you at times. And they will. But majority of the time, it's one-on-one. And he's a big man, six foot, 600 kilos. And, and you've got to do that. Phil got the job done on him. So... You know, we were on Buddy Watch, like you said, but then it became the Luke Parker Watch. You know, how many was he going to end up with? Um, but, yeah, it's going to be an exciting game Friday night. I think Friday night footy, um, you know, two, you know, traditional great rival t- teams with great rivalry. Um, I think everyone's going to tune in. So it'll be interesting to see what the numbers are, tuning in to see that, because like everyone keeps saying at the moment, we don't think we'll ever see a guy kick a 1,000 goals. and. Um, we want, I think we want the fans running on the oval, don't we? And the excitement that that comes with and everything. And, you know, it's, a, it's you know, Bud's had a good rivalry, whether it be at Hawthorne or Sydney with Geelong. The magnitude of the achievement, Sean, um, the magnitude of the man, can you speak to that? And also, not just his influence on football, but his influence to Indigenous people. Yeah, well, I think the 1,000 goals just goes to show how unbelievably... Uh, consistent he's been over his whole career in an era where key forwards don't traditionally kick as many goals as previous forwards. Like you think when Plugger and Dunstall and Ablett and these guys, they were kicking 10s, 12s, 13s weekly. Um, And they were kicking, you know, 10 goals, 5, 10 goals, 6. And, you know, Bud's done it in an era, you know, against zones where it's traditionally, it's not one-on-one anymore. He's got to play it against the zone. So he's able to work through that. There was times when Clarko played him on the wing. Um, so he's spent large so it just goes to show his flexibility and what he's been able to do and to to bring to bring people through the game. I think he's number one Guernsey seller for, you know, five, ten whatever years in a row of merchandise. And then what he means for Indigenous people, he just keeps showing that, you know, Indigenous people can achieve excellence. You know, he's up there, you know. Adam Goods has shown that and led the way and Bud's showing that and you know his name's gonna forever be entrenched in, in the history of this sport in Australia because I don't think we'll see another Lance Franklin. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Beautifully said, mate. And it was interesting to see Ruffy with uh, Lance Senior watching at the, the game. I think Jordan Lewis was there as well. They'll have to get some more tickets and, and go and watch at the SCG on Friday night. And that, on the back of the two performances from Sydney and Geelong on the weekend, promises to be a, a fantastic clash. Um, we watched a match on Saturday night, Shawnee, where they kicked the, the rust out a bit in the first half. It was fairly scrappy, very physical. It was a very attritional game between Port Adelaide and, and Brisbane. Port Adelaide lost a couple of key players, Trent McKenzie with a knee. And Port Adelaide suggesting that maybe, maybe it's not the ACL, which would be terrific news. But Robbie Gray had a knee issue as well. Um, they lost several players throughout the game. Xavier Dersma looks like a broken collarbone for him. And Alir Alir may even have syndesmosis. So... Uh, Brisbane did run over the top and they'd really targeted a round one win after a poor start last year. So that was a good result for Brisbane. The locals were up and about. There was an incident, though, uh, I talked about Dersma's broken collarbone and that was due to a collision with Mitch Robinson. Robinson's actually been suspended for a week for, for front-on contact for that collision. Naked eye, and at the time, what did, what did you think of that incident, Sean? Yeah, I had to watch it a few times back on replay. You know, we want to protect the head. We want to make sure that we, you know, look after players, you know, going for the ball. And, but when we watched it a few times and we started discussing it in the box, um, I, I feel uh, Mitch, 
didn't really have much of an option um, and out. I think if he didn't turn his body side on, then we have a potential head clash. Um, that's what I was thinking. If So what do, we, do we prefer two players clashing heads? Or I'm not too sure what the alternative Mitch had instead of turning his body side on. And I think if you do turn side on, well, then you've got a brace of contact. I think um, it's hard to... It's hard to say, oh, it's hard to put yourself in that that split second situation. Do I do I clash heads or do I turn side on and protect myself? That's probably gone through and instinctively he's turned his he turned his head. Now, um, obviously Xavier's hurt his collarbone, he's gone off, and we want to protect heads. So I agree with all those all those measures the AFL are taking, and but I do still feel there's there's times there's going to be accidents and there's going to, there's going to be a grey area. But uh, yeah, and like you said, he's given he's given one week, and we'll see what Brisbane Lions do with that. But I'm interested interested to hear what your guys' thoughts were as well. What did you I reckon, Lingy? You've had a good look at it. Yeah, I, I think I think in one one bit is Dersma causes it by the fumble. I think that it was it made it. I think Mitch Robinson think oh I've got a chance to go for it, so he stepped in um, because of the fumble. And then at the last second, realised not, nah, and just as Sean saying, turned and braced. I think that one step of momentum towards him is what gets him in trouble. But in the split second moment, when you see an opposition player fumble the footy and it spills, and it might spill just outside of his grasp, well, your natural reaction is to go to the ball and win the ball. Um, and then when he's not quite there, he turns it. I, I think it's. It's harsh, but I'm not surprised at all. We're going to see this all year. We're all kidding ourselves if we get up in arms all the time about this because it's simply going to happen. They're just going to suspend players time and time and time again if there's any incident like that. So I think the difficulty is we look at the 50-metre penalties that were being handed out to those who were remonstrating with the umpire, and that is a very easy thing to fix. It's really easy to stop back-chatting the umpire or speaking to the umpire in a disrespectful way. When you have two guys going for the football and it's ingrained in them to do it, and we're talking about a split second here, how do you actually really remedy that? How are you going to stop the player from colliding in that instance? Almost impossible to do that, Al. It's exactly right. The natural reflex is the ball's there and I'm a chance. I'll go and I'll go towards it. And then the, the other instinct is, well, actually, I'm not quite there. And it's, instead of having a head clash like Sean's saying, you turn your body. You've been mm. taught since I teach my nine-year-old, my seven-year-old, who are playing under 10s and under 9s this year. Don't stick your head where your bum should be. It, you, turn your body and put your, your bum and your, your thigh there and win the ball that way because otherwise you're going to get knocked out. You're going to get concussion after concussion. So you're teaching these kids at seven and nine years of age to do that, how many times multiplied throughout their entire development and then the moment comes in again. So you're not going to be able to stop those split second ones. So but I'm simply, I'm simply saying they will suspend it every single time, even yeah. if it's yeah. accidental. Yeah, I think you're right on, on that. They've drawn a line in the sand. Sean, did you feel like Saturday night was an admirable defeat for Port Adelaide given the injuries they sustained within the match or was it actually a... A missed opportunity. You're working at the club at the moment. What what was the feeling? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both, to be honest. I think it, they they fought all the way to the end. You know, they obviously got those injuries. Um, you know, Robbie Gray obviously hurt his knee in, 
at the start of the game, I think it was, and played the rest. Saw Aaliyah, obviously hurt himself, kept playing. Saw Xavier came off, and, and then um, Mackenzie hurt his hurt his knee and came off as well. So it was really, you know, good to see the guys fight. And, and anyone who's been to Brisbane, Lingen, you played there as well in the last quarter, and it's heavy, it's muggy, it feels like it's wet weather conditions. So to fight it out, and you're one or two down on the bench. Is, is very admirable, but also they were, boys were up, Port were up by I think 20 points or 23 points, and then and then dropped the lead. So um, there's a bit of both, to be honest, um, but definitely a missed opportunity, and who knows what happens But um, if you don't get injuries. But Brisbane have de- genuinely turned that place into a fortress. It's one of the hardest places to go to get a win. Um, so let's, yeah, they deserve all, all, the, all the praise, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, across the course of the last three home and away seasons, they've won 28, lost two at the Gabba, the Brisbane Lions, and have started the season with a win there. Uh, let's go back briefly to Thursday night because the scenes of Carlton fans, that outpouring of emotion in the stands at the MCG, it's been a long, long build-up for them to see them win that season opener against Richmond. Hadn't done it, uh, hadn't beaten Richmond since 20, uh, 2013 in, in a season opener. So... For Carlton to do that, and, and I know um, how firm you were, Cameron Ling, all of last year when discussions were surrounding whether David Teague would go and who should replace him, you were Adam and it should be Michael Voss. And, well, the Voss model, it's working so far, it seems, at Carlton as much as there's been a, a little bit of a hiccup for him personally with, <laughs> with COVID in, in recent days. Yeah, hopefully he's feeling okay, Vossie. I hope you're okay. Um, and not going to be there round two. That will frustrate the hell out of him. Um, but they were they were so impressive. Um, it was there were moments where Richmond had it in control, and it's like, oh, hang on, is this the same old story? We've watched this round one game a million times before. Do we really need to watch it? Richmond are going to go away with this. Carlton are going to capitulate. But they were strong, and they got a deep. Midfield now, when you think there's still Sam Walsh to come back. Um, the forward line, the tall forwards, pretty much didn't do anything, um, which means there's even more improvement there when you think the reigning Coleman medalist um, can get so much better. And Charlie Kernow, who knows what he could be, but could be something so very, very special. Um, lots and lots of positives. But the challenge now for so many of those Carlton players is don't get caught up in the outside craziness and excitement and fun. And, and it's great. I'm with you, Al, as well. I, I love the fact when one of those big Melbourne clubs haven't been good for a while, get going a bit. It is, it is kind of good for, for footy, but the players can't get caught up in that. They've got to go back and do the same amount of work they did. And it's going to be different this week without Voss, a couple of assistant coaches and, and Jack Martin as well. Um, they're going to have to get through that adversity and make sure they back it up with a, a good win. Otherwise, you drop... Round two, um, when you've played some good footy, well, you may as well have dropped round one and won round two, and it's the same as last year. So they got to string wins together now, but gee, it was exciting. It was good footy. Thursday night, I mean, that's going to be fascinating now. The Western Bulldogs, having lost to Melbourne on Wednesday, taking on Carlton. Ash Hansen looks like he's going to take the reins of the Blues as well in the absence of Michael Voss, and who knows the Bulldogs very well having been part of that, that system. So... That's going to be a cracking way to start round two of the AFL season. Just a quick one. Is Carlton in your top eight, Lingy, Sean? Lingy? In mine, yes. Yeah, I had them sneaking in. I've been um, quite excited about them. Um, now they've got certain processes in place. No, they're not, they're not in mine. Um, I think they're still, they're still building. 
But I just want to just touch on the, the Carlton game. You spoke to Lingy at the start about what caught your eye. What caught my eye was Sam Doherty's goal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How emotional that was, not just for the Carlton people and their thing, but I think for every football fan who, who's watched, because everyone knows his story and knows exactly, cause, um, exactly what he's gone through, because a lot of people have been touched by cancer in our community. And to beat it and then to get back on and not only play the game, but actually be one of the best players out there yes. and then to kick a goal as well, tugged at the heartstrings. Of, I had just overwhelmed up a little bit in my eyes. My wife did as well. And, you know, because you just got caught in that. So that's really what caught my eye. And the, the overall love and, you know, that Australia, the Australian footy community has for him um, was first class. So that really caught my eye as well. So um, I don't know about you guys. Nah, yeah, well that, said, I mean, mate. that was absolutely Brilliant. inspiring, wasn't it? And spine-tingling to see it and to see the reaction of the crowd any time he went near the ball. But when he kicked that goal, the roar of the crowd and to see all of his teammates um, get around him in that way, that was really special, I think, no matter what team you follow. Mm-hmm. Even Richmond fans, I'm sure, could see that moment and think, well, we've got to pay that. Um it is the time of year, only around into the season, but the analysis starts, you drill down, um, all the media outlets and all the experts in the game look at who performed and who underperformed. So we're going to have a little segment each week called Alarm Bell. So anyone in particular, Lingy, any team in particular, any individual in particular, based on what you saw in round one, and I will preface this by saying that Round one is for overreactions. We know that. <laughs> the alarm bells are ringing for who after round one in your eyes? Uh, two teams, really quickly. One, the Western Bulldogs forward line. Bar Aaron Norton. He is superb. I just pay to watch him, go to watch him um, every single week. I love him. But the rest of that forward line is just non-functional and they have to do something. I think you may as well play Jamari Hagen, and doesn't matter if he doesn't get a kick at least you're giving him games because no one else in that forward line is going to get a kick. Um, And the other one for me, and it's not surprising alarm bells because I just do not rate their list or or what they're doing is St Kilda. I think, um, I think they, they looked, they looked really, really poor um, on Friday night and got blown away. I know the scoreboard didn't suggest it was blown away, but it felt like it by a, a Collingwood team who finished well down the ladder um, I'd be worried um, if I was the Saints. And it's probably because they've raised their own internal expectations so ridiculously high. Um, it feels like they've got to win a premiership or bust. Well, that's just silly. So I reckon a couple of alarm bells will be ringing around those two at the moment, Al. Yeah, I think you could see on Brett Ratton's face the level of frustration and disappointment with the way the team played. This is a really big year for St Kilda, isn't it? Well, it is. They've, they've spent so much with their, the free agency and trading acquisitions, um, their building list. Now, I know they've got a couple of key players out, but I just went through that list on, on Friday night and just trying to find players that I could get really, really excited about. Um, Jade Gresham being back was one of them. Mm-hmm. Love him. Jack Steele is just an out, outstanding footballer, a star. And Raul Marshall's exciting. Uh, and Max King. And then I struggled. Well, who, who's next? What's Jack that one? Jack Hayes. Jack Hayes. Oh, well, yes, true. I should, I, I should, yes, you're absolutely right. Um, but he's the one who got me most excited on the night. He's a bloke playing his first game. Um, the rest of them were very, very blah. Very blah. And um, I don't see it getting much better. 
All right, Lingy. Well, well played. You've gone on. Not only asked you for one overreaction, <laughs> you've given me a couple there. A couple of alarm bells from you. That's good to see. No sitting on the fence here. What about you, Shawnee yeah, Bergon? Alarm bells for who after round one? Well, I think Essendon, you know, losing to Geelong by 66 points, I think everyone expects Essendon to jump up and really challenge, you know, top eight and finals. They've got a really, I think they, their list is really good. I, I rate where, they, where they're going. Um, but also I saw Ben Rutten's comments after the game when he spoke about his midfield um, being dominated by Geelong's midfield. And particularly when the Essendon leaders are their midfielders. Um, and that must hurt as a coach, having your leaders in the midfield. And I think Dangerfield and Co., which was something that also caught my eye, Lingy. I was supposed to ask you to talk about Geelong. We cut it short, but Paddy Dangerfield looks back to 100% healthy. He's got his explosiveness. And that was evident running away from the Essendon players, which I don't think Ben Run appreciated, to be honest. So a rampaging Paddy Dangerfield. But yeah, 66-point loss in round one. Um, and, and I don't think... They're supposed to get um, Jake Stringer back this week or next week or the week after. Tip and Woody's um, another, you know, was indefinite. They don't know when he's going to be back. So two very important players as well. Did you see the Rising Star nominee today, do you reckon, Sean? Nick Martin. <laughs> or Josh Rochelle. Uh, Josh Rochelle. <laughs> uh, he's a very good player, isn't he? Um, I was saying in the box today, they should extend his extension. He's already been <laughs> extend his extension because they're going to get Josh Shelley cheap the longer they don't extend him. <laughs> Good luck picking who wins it. Um, I thought Nick Dacos had a uh, fair handline there for a little while, but yeah, he's been um, probably blown out of the water. Well, the other thing as well, you've got, so you've got Nick Martin's kicked five goals, 27 disposals on the wing. You've got Rochelle's kicked five goals. You know, he kicked two or three points. He could have, and one didn't make the distance. So he could have kicked seven or eight, um, which is just the young kids just coming these days and just make it look easy. That's the other thing. Like, it's unheard of, I think, to have them in the same round. Yeah, staggeringly talented, aren't they? And mm-hmm. never overawed by the experience of, of playing. So in Rochelle's case, he's playing at the Adelaide Oval, round one, and he produces a performance like that. And then with all the expectation, Nick Dacos to perform the way he did. It really was a very special round one, I think. We saw some terrific football. We saw some some rust, obviously. It's round one of the football season. We saw some great finishes and some wonderful debuts as well. Love chatting footy with you, Sean Burgoyne. You've been an, a superb addition to the Seven commentary team and love get hearing your insights across the course of the weekend. And Lingy, as always, you've been part of this for so long and into another season again. Love chatting footy with you, mate. Uh, we'll be doing the Alan Lingy podcast for you every week, summing up the round of football so you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and we'll chat all things footy for you every Monday. Thanks for your company. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.